here we live in this world where there's so much to doubt about. Isn't that true? I mean, there's just so much in life that we're skeptical of. And we are New Yorkers, so we're like professional skeptical people. Isn't that true? Right? I mean, we just kind of have that built and wired into us. And so we're incredibly skeptical. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get emails that I'm just skeptical of. You know, you get those emails and it's like, if you don't provide this financial information, then in the next week your iTunes account's going to be shut down or something along those lines. And I, I'm always skeptical of those emails that can come in sometimes. And uh, there's this one guy who's actually a comedian and he got one of these emails, but it was kind of taken up a few notches. And he went back at the guy and they ended up emailing back and forth about 30 times. I just want to read you the first two emails. So the guy who was trying to scam the money said this, dear friend, my name is John Kelly. I am 59 years old man. I'm in a hospital in Dubai. I'm giving away my money because of my health condition. Recently, my doctor told me that I will not last the next six months due to cancer of the lever. My wife is a terrifying woman to deal with. Marrying her was the only mistake I made in life. She's currently managing my company here, but I don't want her to come near my money. And so the comedian wrote this back. I'm sorry to hear this. Cancer of the lever can be deadly. Like, nice. So they go back 30 times or so, and it all comes out as you read through these emails. The guy who was trying to scam him said, I'm going to give you $9 million. All you have to do is send me a $900 transaction fee so I can release the money, right? And so there is so much in life to be suspicious about. There's so much in life to doubt. For a few weeks, I want to celebrate a few things that there's no doubt about. I want to celebrate a few things that are the solid rock foundation of our lives. Things that we can be sure on and be completely put to rest about when it comes to their truth and their trustworthiness. And so tonight, I just want to remind some of you guys of one of those things. And for some of you, you'll hear this for the first time, what I'm going to tell you. Others of you, I want to remind you of something that there's no doubt about that is so incredibly important in our lives. And tonight, I just want to simply remind you that you are loved. It's your loved. I want to start there because I think that changes everything else. It's the perfect place to start talking about things that there's no doubt about. See, it's amazing how easily we forget this truth, that we're just simply loved. And there's a bunch of different reasons why we forget this truth. There's a bunch of different reasons why we can struggle to believe this. But tonight, I just want to remind you of something that's so vital and important for you to know. I don't know about you, but there's been plenty of times in my life I've been Uh, reminded about things, I've needed to be reminded about things that I already technically knew, right? Um, I'll give you an example. When I was in college, I was a youth pastor in New Jersey. I went to Nyack College, and I would drive late Saturday nights out to Newton, New Jersey, in my little red Nissan pickup stick shift truck. It was awesome. And I'd drive out there, and this one night in particular, I got there really late. The church was up on the top of the hill, so I'd drive up this parking lot up to the top of the hill, get out of my car, go into the pastor's house. He had next room set up for me. I would sleep there Saturday nights, right? So I go out the next Sunday morning to get something out of my truck, and my truck is gone. I'm like, what the heck happened to my truck? And so I start looking around. I'm trying to figure out. I'm I'm, I'm looking all over this property. It's a really big property, and my truck is out in the middle of a field on the property. I'm like, what is going on? So I call my dad because he's like a master prankster, and I figured he drove two hours to New Jersey to prank me and move my truck. But he didn't do it. So I went inside. I talked to the pastor and his family. They didn't know anything about it. And then it dawned on me what must have happened is in my stick shift truck, I forgot to put the emergency brake on the top of the hill. And it had actually rolled down this hill. Now, what was incredible is there were angels all over my truck. It had snowed the night before, so I could actually see where the wheels went down because it left snow marks. And it rolled 200 feet down this hill and then made a backwards right turn and went perfectly between two parked cars out into this field. Now, 
Had there not been angels guiding it, what would have happened is either it would have crashed into those parked cars or it never would have made the right turn in the first place, gone down into a major intersection and then into a house across the street. But thankfully, those angels were guarding my truck down. And uh, people are coming to church the next morning like, Doug, I saw your truck out in the field. What's up? I'm just trying to get in touch with nature, man. Just trying to park out there. You just got to be close to nature once in a while. But, man, what happened? Well, something I knew, something I had heard a thousand times. My dad, put on the emergency brake, especially on top of the hill. Put on the emergency brake and the stick shift. Make sure you put that thing on, right? I'd done it a thousand times. And yet, I just forgot. So sometimes we need to be reminded about something that maybe we already know and are really familiar with. Uh, a brilliant theologian said this, the real job of every moral teacher, now I'm not a moral teacher, my goal in life is not to make you more moral, it's to make us all more in love with Jesus, and then he does the work on the inside, right? But the job of every moral teacher is to keep bringing us back time after time to the old simple principles, which we're all so anxious not to see. Like bringing a horse back and back to the fence it has refused to jump, or bringing a child back to a lesson that it wants to shirk. Now, many people believe that the guy who said this is one of the most brilliant theologians of the last hundred years. I'm talking, of course, about Sylvester Stallone. No, 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 I'm kidding. I'm talking about C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. I mean, if you've read anything about C.S. Lewis, if you know anything about him, he was this amazing theologian that we all look to, many pastors and teachers. I mean, we look to this guy and we look up to him. And what is he telling us? It's our job to continue to bring people back to those simple truths that we so easily forget. And you know what? I need to be reminded sometimes that no doubt about it, I'm loved. You see, there's a couple reasons why we need to hear this pretty often in our lives. You see, there are a couple things that try to confuse us and try to distract us from the love of God. See, one of those things that makes us feel like we're not loved by God is our pain, right? We talked a little bit about this in the objection series a few months ago. Our pain, as we're dealing with something difficult, tries to make us believe God doesn't love us. He's forgotten us. He's abandoned us. He doesn't want us anymore. And you know what? Standing next to my wife in ICU for several weeks, I had to hear God loved me. I had to hear God loved her. I had to hear God loved my children. I needed that reminder. When, when I was, uh, one thing that really stands out to me was she was going in for a two and a half hour MRI on her brain and her spinal cord. And I had to, I had to walk around just the hospital. I went out into the hospital grounds and I was walking around the parking lot and I was just praying. I got in my car and I just drove around. I ended up down at Sunken Meadow walking down on the beach and I had to just be on the water and just, I had to just be reconvinced that God still loved me. He was still big. He was still in control. And so some of you tonight, your pain has been telling you God doesn't love you anymore, that he's forsaken you, that he's abandoned you. And tonight I just want to remind you that no doubt about it, you are loved. We're going to talk about this a little bit and what Jesus has done to help us be convinced that he loves us even in the midst of our pain. The second thing that tries to kind of scream at us and scream out of us when we're told we're loved by God is our failure, right? Our failures scream out of us. Nah, Doug, you're you're not loved. You're a sinner. You mess up. You're not loved. You're not wanted. You're not desired by God. Isn't that something you hear sometimes? You know, maybe you've never been in church before. You're not a follower of Jesus, and you expected maybe to come in here and somebody like me to say God loves you. And there's something in you that just, it doesn't sit well almost. Because you know the mistakes you've made. You know the things that you've done. And, and I don't know about you, but I struggle with things that I did 10, 15 years ago. They still can haunt me and still kind of wake me out of a sleep. And I can go, man, I'm such a jerk. I'm such an idiot. Why did I do that? And sometimes our failures just scream out of us that we're just not loved. We're just not wanted. 
I was uh, on the baseball field with my little son the other day, and I was helping out coach his baseball team, and I was talking with one of the other coaches, and we were just talking, getting to know each other, and, and I said, uh, what do you do? And he told me, and then he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, get out of here. No way, man, really? And he goes, wait, did I use any bad language? Right? And I was like, yes, you're filthy. No, no, he was fine. He was fine. But, but you know what's interesting is, is what happened there? Well, as soon as like, anything God-related was brought up, what did he do? His failure screamed out of him. Oh, I got a bad mouth. I don't, know if I, I don't know if I said anything now or not, but I know what's in me, and I know what could have come out of me, right? And so often, our failures jump out of us. There's something inside of us screaming that, man, we're, we're kind of a mess, and who would want us? Who would want us? And so maybe your pain, maybe your failure has been kind of making God's love obscure to you lately, or, or maybe you're okay, Right? Maybe you're like, nah, I'm good. I can see God through my pain. I can see God through my failures. I'm okay. Well, that's awesome. And, and what I want to do tonight, my prayer for you, is that every one of us would go deeper in the love of God, whether our pain, our failures are, are messing with us, or we're kind of just okay. You see, the amazing thing about the, the love of God is it's never ending. And so you could be, again, you could be C.S. Lewis, the most brilliant scholar in the world. You still can find more of the love of God. You still can experience more of the love of God. Look what Paul wrote in Ephesians 3. This is my prayer for us tonight. Because I know if God doesn't do this, then we're all in trouble, right? We're all going to be falling asleep in the next few minutes. We need this, right? And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Here it is. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This is my prayer for you. Some of you guys really know your Bibles. Some of you guys really know Jesus. Some of you guys walked in here feeling close to him. And you know what? There's more for us. Even if our failures and our our pain aren't ruling us out or or making us think we're ruled out, there's more for every one of us here in this room tonight. Pastor Ravon was sitting in the front row when I preached this message this morning. He's been preaching longer than I've been alive, right? But there's more of God for him. There's more of the love of God to be experienced and understood for him. And there is for you and me too. So today I want to remind you that you're loved. And this is important because when we are rooted, like this scripture says, when we are grasping how wide, long, high, and deep the love of Christ is, do you know what happens? It changes everything in our lives. I want you to think back. If you're a follower of Jesus, think back to the times in your life where you have been rooted and you've been grasping the love of God for you. You're secure in it. Think back to that time. Doesn't that being rooted affect everything else you're going through. But, but think about the times you're not secure in that love. I, I'll tell you what happens when I'm not secure in the love of God. Jealousy starts flowing out of my heart. Why? Because, well, when I'm secure in the love of God, it's like I could just be me. I don't have to be him or her. I could just be me because I'm secure. God loves me. What else matters, right? But when I'm not rooted in that love, when I'm not grasping that love, jealousy starts rolling out of me. Oof, right? What about unforgiveness or anger? You know, when I'm secure in the love of God, I'm quick to forgive because he's forgiven me of so much. But when I'm insecure in that love or when I'm, for some reason, because of failure or pain, feeling like I'm not in on this love of God, then, man, everything gets messed up. And so this is really the foundation. This, no doubt about it, foundation we're laying tonight changes everything else. And so this was why I knew we needed to start here. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you might have some pain yelling out that God can't love you. You might have some failure yelling out of you that God can't love you, but tonight I hope to convince you otherwise. So what we're going to do is, is we are going to do the entire book of Hosea tonight. It's only going to take about three and a half hours. So, no, I'm kidding. We are really going to do the whole book, but a lot of it's going to be summarized, okay? And we're going to look at this awesome, awesome, beautiful story of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet, and Hosea 
his life is supposed to be a picture of how God relates to his people, to you and I, okay? So we're going to look in Hosea chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 2. It says this, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Bet you didn't expect to hear this in church today, right? So this one will wake you up. Whoa, what did you just say? No, see, this is such an incredible story. God calls his man Hosea. He calls his guy Hosea. He says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go marry that unfaithful woman. We're going to find out later her name is Gomer, and I'm going to promise you I'm going to call her Homer once, at least, throughout this message, because it's Hosea and Gomer put together as Homer, okay? And then if, it's not, if that's not enough, the word Homer is actually in this later. So I'll say it, you can all laugh, and that'll be that, okay? But he goes and pursues this woman, Gomer, who is a known adulterer, who is a known prostitute. Now, why would God tell someone to do that? He was telling Hosea to do this because in this story we're going to read tonight, Hosea represents God. And Gomer represents the nation of Israel and also represents you and me, who have been unfaithful to God. And so it starts out here with this intense thing. Look what it says, verse 3. So he married Gomer, daughter of the blame, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now in the rest of chapter 1, Hosea and Gomer have more kids. And so here is this picture of Hosea, who again represents you and me, pursuing and loving this woman who is adulterous. And that's what God's done for you and me. We're going to see this kind of unfold here. Um, through the rest of the chapter, we see some of Israel's sin. We see God responding to that sin. We're going to drop down to chapter 3 and catch up with more of Hosea's story. Look what it says here. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she's loved by another man and is an adulteress. So wait a minute. God says, Hosea, you see that lady over there? Yeah, go marry her, even though you know what she's already like. And so he goes and does it. They have several kids. And then she goes and prostitutes herself out again. And God says, Hosea, go pursue her. God doesn't say, give up on her. You know what? She's unfaithful. You've seen her true colors. All right, enough's enough. No, he says, you go pursue her now, even though she is steeped in her sin. And this is the picture of what God did for Israel. And this is the picture of what God's done for me and for you. He's pursued us even when we are steeped in our sin, even when we are running and we are prostituting ourselves out, so to speak, chasing all kinds of other things, trying to run from God. God is still pursuing us. God is still running after us. Now, this next part's an interesting verse. It says, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Anybody else thrown by that raisin cake part? <laughs> I don't know about you. Every time I'm reading this passage, I'm all caught up. Wow, God, you're so good. This is so amazing. You're so passionate. Look at your love. What's with the raisin cakes, Lord? I go, what just happened? I'm a little hungry now, Lord. Well, here's what's going on. We got to re- read Jeremiah 44. They explain why the raisin cakes were a problem. They explain what this all means. Verse 19, the women added, when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, did not our husbands know that we were, here we go, making cakes impressed with her image, so they were making these cakes with the queen of heaven's image on them and then pouring out drink offerings to her. So what's going on here? Why is this a problem? Because they're making cakes or these offerings and then worshiping other gods. That's what God's driving at here. Sometimes the Bible says some weird things, but there's always a reason for it, right? And so God is saying, okay, Hosea, I want you to go love her just like I've loved the Israelites, even though they made these foods for other gods and worshiped them. Now, come on, we got to be real. 
don't know about you, I've got some, uh, I've got some raisin cakes in my life, so to speak, right? Don't you? I've got some other gods that I chase sometimes. I've got some other things that distract me from the one true God. I've got some other places and sources I look to for satisfaction than God. And I'm unfaithful to him sometimes. And yet, he pursues me. I would guess you could say the same about yourself. He pursues you too. Then we look at more of Hosea's story. This is so powerful. Hosea 3 verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer, there's homer, and a lethic of barley. Wait, wait. Hosea had to go buy his wife back. She belonged to someone else. She had sold herself to someone else. And Hosea's got to go buy her back. And what's interesting is what all this means. You see how it says he bought her for 15 shekels of silver? Do you know what that is? Do you know what that's the price of? That is the price. That's actually half the price of a dead slave. How do we know this? Because there's another spot that we see that if a slave was killed, then the person that killed the slave owed the master 30 pieces of silver. And here's Hosea buying his wife back for only 15. It's half the price of a dead slave. And the barley here, that's cattle food. Now some of you guys might be tripping over that fact that I just mentioned slavery in the Bible. And and I would love to talk with you about that after. I had a great conversation with somebody about that after the morning service here today. Because some people say, well, see, the Bible condones slavery. No, the Bible doesn't condone slavery. It's a huge misconception. I'd love to talk with you about that later. It's about another 10 minutes into a message that I don't have for, for tonight. But I'd love to talk with you about that if that's something that's kind of tripping you out. But think about this. Here is Hosea buying his wife back for this fee. And you have to get in Gomer's head for a second. Man, can you imagine what Gomer is feeling? She must be feeling so worthless. She must be feeling like, why would he want me? Why would he buy me back for anything? I'm not even worth the price of a a living slave. Why would he come running after me? Why would he remain faithful to me? And you know what? I think you and I often do the same thing. We go, God, why would you still pursue me? Why would you still want me? Check out this quote on the screen. Gomer wasn't worth it, and we are not worth the redemption price which was paid for us. But God still did it, right? We're not worth what God did for us, but he still did it. And here is where we have to see the difference between what happened with Hosea and Gomer and with you and I. See, the price for Gomer was so low, but the price for you and I was so high. You see, the only way that you and I were saved from our sin, the only way we were bought back and redeemed was by by Jesus' death on the cross for us. It was the greatest cost ever paid. The pure and holy Son of God. Check out the screens. What should stand out to us is how little was paid for Gomer, but how much was paid for you and me. That's got to do something in our hearts. We've got to realize tonight how much God loves us. The Bible tells us he did not spare his son. Will he not also freely give us all things? God didn't spare his son for you. That's how loved you are. Again, some of you know this. Some of you woke up today knowing this, but we got to go deeper in this love. We've got to push aside objections of pain, push aside objections of our failure, and we've got to say, okay, God, I'm ready for what you have for me tonight. Some of us here in the room have to say, all right, I have tremendous biblical knowledge in my head, but God, I need you to refresh my heart and fill me up with the love of God again. Give me a new awe for the love of God today. And it goes on. Actually, before I go on, I want to say something to that objection of pain. I almost skipped this. See, 
here is where we also have to pause. If you tonight are coming in saying, man, I just can't buy that God loves me because of the pain that I'm going through. We have to remember here that the price for our sin and the price for our redemption was Jesus' death on the cross, which means Jesus entered into our pain, right? So if you're here tonight saying, it's not fair what I'm going through, God, you can't love me. We have to look back at the cross and say, it's not fair what he went through. He must love me so much. And so if you're tripping over that objection of pain tonight, look to the cross. Jesus entered into your pain. He is not looking at you and I saying, man, too bad. You're in pain, too bad. I don't know what that's like. No, Jesus is looking at you saying, I 100% get what you're going through. In fact, I get it only because I was put on a cross in your place. That's where you should have rightfully been. Now let's go on. Verse three, then I told her, Hosea says, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will behave the same way towards you. What do we see here? Even though Gomer was unfaithful, Hosea was faithful. As a pastor, there's been a lot of times in my life that my wife and I have sat across the table from a couple and we're hearing their story and they're having some marital problems and and one of them will say, I was unfaithful to my spouse. And there is nothing more powerful, guys, than the the spouse who was faithful in that relationship looking back and saying, I forgive you and I love you and we're going to stay together through this. There is nothing more powerful than that because that's what God's done for us. What a picture of Jesus. That's what God has done for us. That's what Hosea did for Gomer. And I love that he says, okay, can you like be faithful to me now? He says, don't sleep around anymore. And I think God says to you and I, hey, be faithful to me. Now, we're not going to be perfect, right? But I think God doesn't just say, hey, you have this like clean bill of health, go do what you want, and then come and ask forgiveness later. No, he's saying, hey, love me and be faithful to me. And, and I think he invites us to be empowered by him to be more and more faithful, and we should be growing. We'll fall down. His grace is there. He'll pick us back up. But that challenge is there. Be faithful, and, and I'm going to be faithful to you. And then we see verse 4, and we see a little bit of a a switch here, a little bit of a change, which we're going to talk about. He says, For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. What does this mean? Well, God here is talking about the fact that he's actually going to bring a time of punishment on Israel for their sins. And you're going, wait, but Doug, I thought you said that God loves us and that God pursues us. Yeah, he does still pursue us. But see, there's a difference that's so important that we understand between what happens in this story and what you and I know. You see, the Israelites were punished because of their sin. Do you know why? Because Jesus hadn't come yet. I don't know if you know this. You are never punished by God. God does not punish you if you're a follower of Jesus. Do you know why? Because he took out all that punishment on his son on the cross in your place. He never punishes you and me. You know what he does for us instead? He disciplines us. See, discipline and punishment are two very different things. Uh, James Dobson says a couple great things. He says this, punishment is about penalizing someone as payback for an offense. But look at this, discipline is about applying appropriate consequences to encourage better choices in the future. He says, punishment is about paying someone back for the wrong they did in the past. Discipline is about training someone to do the right thing in the future. I'll just kind of summarize it, say this. Punishment is about the past, but discipline is about the future, right? Punishment is about, you owe me, I'm going to pay you back. Discipline is, I love you, and I want to see the best for you. And that's what God does for us. He lovingly disciplines us when we stray so that we come running back, which is so funny because, look, look, this is exactly what happens with the Israelites. Verse 5, 
Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last day. So after this discipline of God, and even for them punishment, they came running back. And so God sometimes puts that discipline in our lives that we would come running back because he knows he's the best thing for us, right? And so what are we seeing here in this story? We're seeing that just like Gomer was unfaithful to Hosea, Israel was unfaithful to God like you and I are unfaithful to God. But just like Hosea was faithful to Gomer and pursued her, he pursued Israel just like God pursues you and me. This is the great God we're talking about. I'm going to summarize the rest, and then and we're going to hit chapter 14. Uh, chapter 4, 5, uh, and, and really 5 through 10 talks a lot about the sin, the consequences, and the punishment. Chapter 11, God's love and Israel's sin. Chapter 12 and 13, we see more consequences. We see God's anger. And then chapter 14, we see God's love. And this is where I want to pick up Hosea 14, verse 4. It says this, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. This is what God says in response to Israel running and running and running and then eventually finally saying, okay, God, we want you. He says, I will heal their waywardness. What does that mean? It means that God's going to pull us off that path. Every one of us was born going like this. We're supposed to be going that way. Everyone was born to be wayward, right? My son Landon is incredibly wayward. He doesn't know how to go from here to there without going like that, like all through up into the ceiling and down into the basement somehow. I don't even know how he does it, right? And so we're walking across like a parking lot or a street. I mean, Landon's, in his mind, it would make sense to jump on the hood of a car, roll off it, run through a couple different things, climb a tree, you know. So I have to grab him by the shirt sometimes as we're walking through a parking lot or put my arm around him, and I'm trying to heal his waywardness. Jesus, help me. Get him on the path again, right? And God has healed our waywardness. Again, we're not going to be perfect in this life, but he's trying to put us back on the right path. And some of us have experienced that, right? Since we put our trust in Jesus, suddenly it's like, wow, my desires are beginning to change. I mean, I still do the wrong things sometimes, but, but when I do it, I'm sorry for it and I'm broken over it and I want to do the right thing. Or, man, things I used to want to do, those things kind of disgust me now. We begin to see that God is, what is he doing? He's healing our waywardness and he's loving us freely. He, he, he has complete love for you and me because our sin's been dealt with. Jesus was put on the cross in our place. And then he says this, and my anger has turned away from them. Now we have to remember something here. God's anger towards sin is right. You know? Some of you guys might be sitting here kind of feeling like, oh, like 2017, you know, like, God, that's not cool, man. Like, why are you being all angry? Well, he's angry about sin, and that's right. It's called righteous anger. If you and I walked outside tonight and we saw some kid getting beat up by somebody, we should have a righteous anger rise up in us about what's going on. And that's what God has towards sin. But the amazing thing is because Jesus died in our place and that punishment that you and I should have bore was taken out on Jesus, God's turned his anger away from Israel, away from you and from me. And then God says this, verse five, I will be like the dew to Israel. What does that mean? Well, this morning I walked out of my house with my family. We're on our way here to church. Everything's good. And all of a sudden Landon comes running into the car and he's got his iPod and it's soaked. And I said, Landon, why is your iPod all wet? He said, well, it was dirty, and I tried to rub it off on the grass and clean it. Like, son, it's called a paper towel, bro. Right? Get you some Windex for Christmas. How about that, right? And so he's got his iPod, and it's all soaked. Well, why is that? Because he went over, and there was a dew all over the grass. Why is there a dew there every morning? Right? It's there to bring life. It's there to bring refreshment. It's there to water what's growing and bring health. And here's God saying, I want to be that dew 
for you. I want to water you. I want to grow you because I've pursued you and you've turned back to me. And then God talks about all that Israel is going to become. And he uses some kind of old school language, but there's some cool imagery here that we can see. And this is what God wants for you and me. It says this, he will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. You see, this is what God is driving at. He's calling us to love him well. He's calling us to be near him so he can take us off that wayward path. He can deal with those objections of pain. He can deal with those objections of failure coming out of us. And he can be that dew in our life, that refreshment, that life-giving element. And he can create us all this good, all this good. That's what God has for you and for me. Walter Kaiser says this, and no prophet is the love of God more clearly demarcated and illustrated than in Hosea. This is a love story. This book's a love story. It's about an unfaithful people and a God who will not stop pursuing, a God who will not stop being faithful no matter what. Charles Lee Feinberg says, nowhere in the whole range of God's revelation do we find more beautiful words of love than in Hosea. What a beautiful picture. Tom Constable sums it all up. The great illustration of how committed God is to his people is how he instructed Hosea to relate to his unfaithful wife. The Lord will not forsake those with whom he is joined in a covenant, even if they become unfaithful to him repeatedly. He will be patient with them and will eventually save them. So here's what I want you to know tonight. No doubt about it, you are loved. No matter what you're feeling, no matter what somebody's telling you, no matter what your emotions are telling you, no matter what your pain is telling you or your failure is telling you, or if you're in a great place in God, you're loved. And there's more of that love for you to enjoy. Like we sang earlier, let's go deeper. Let's go deep. Let's go where we've never been before. Like Paul said, that we would grasp, that we'd understand how wide and deep and long and high the love of God is for us. That's my prayer for you and me tonight. So what do we do? Well, if you came in with an objection of pain, you've got to look to Jesus and say, okay, you entered into my pain. You get it. And you were only there because of my sin, Jesus. And so thank you that you can walk with me through my pain and my suffering. As I look to the cross, I see how loved I am, even though I still have pain here and now. And, and there's a whole other message, but we have to remember that our pain is always for a purpose. It's always going to create something beautiful in the long run. God knows what he's doing, as hard as that is to see sometimes. Now, if you have the other objection of failure, I'm going to say something that might hurt at first, but it's the best news in the whole world. And here's what I want to tell you. God does not love you because you're great. He loves you because he's great. He does not love you because you are this amazing person. In fact, check this out. If God loves me because he's great, not because I'm great, then I will always be loved because he's always great even when I'm not. Right? If, if God loves me when I'm performing well, then what about when I fail? In, in the story, did Hosea love Gomer because of her great character? No. Hosea loved Gomer and pursued Gomer really because of his great character and because of the, the strength God placed in him and the call of God on his life. And so God doesn't love you because you're great and so you're not perfect and so your failures don't rule you out. God loves you because he's great and he's going to continue to be faithful because that's who he is. And if we will tonight say, all right, God, I want more of this love. God, fill me with more of your love. Then you know what's going to happen? We're going to be rooted and established in him. 
We're going to grasp how high and wide and deep his love is for us. And that's going to change everything for you and for me. We're going to live in a place of security in him. And there's nothing like that. If you're not a follower of Jesus, do you see God's love for you today? Do you see that although your failures may be screaming out of you or your, your objection of pain might be blinding you toward the love of God, that there is a God who pursues you no matter what and loves you no matter what. And he will be faithful to you no matter what. And so tonight I would love for you to put your trust in him if you would like to do that. Now, there's something we're going to do tonight. And I knew that tonight had to be more than a message because I knew that many of you walked into this room already knowing how loved you are by God. And my prayer is, like Paul said, that we would be able to grasp this and be rooted. And so I knew we had to, to take this to experience mode. And so here's what we're going to do. Rather than just kind of closing with our, with our last song and then have the prayer team come up, what we're going to do is, is we're going to just line the front of this stage down here on the floor with a bunch of people that want to pray for you. And during the last song, the band's just going to play quietly. And we want to pray for as many of you as we can that you would have a new revelation and a new understanding and a new experience in the love of God. Nothing spooky or weird is going to happen. We're just going to pray for whoever feels like coming up. And I'll tell you what happened at the first service. We waited and we waited and we waited. And then finally one person came up and then like 20 people came up. So just come up. <laughs> we want to pray for you. And you know what? We'll stay as long as we need to stay. Um, you know, if it goes long and you need to leave, that's okay. But, but we're just wanting to seek God here. And we're wanting for, for a greater understanding of his love. And you know what? If I weren't one of the preacher's prayers here tonight, I could be on the other side of this getting prayed for because I need more of the love of God in my life. And so there's nobody here that doesn't need this. So I encourage you to just come up. We'll just kind of pray with you, you know, with you. And then when we're done, the next person, the next person, the next person, we're trying to keep it moving. But we'd love to pray for every one of you if we had the opportunity. So let's get the band up here. Let's pray. I want to just give you an opportunity, if you're not a follower of Jesus, to begin a conversation with him. And we'll also get our prayers kind of lined up up here, and then we'll start uh, to worship together. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much that no doubt about it, we are loved. God, we just come to you, and we ask that you would do something so powerful in these next moments, God. We, We long to not just talk about or hear about what you have done and your great love for us. We long to experience it. We long to have a new encounter with you tonight, to have sort of maybe some of those blinders wiped off us, maybe some of those objections of pain or failure dealt with as we pray. And so come by your Holy Spirit and meet us tonight. God, we expect to meet with you, God. Like Moses said, God, we don't want to go anywhere without you. We don't want to do anything without you. And so would you infuse this with your life, Holy Spirit? If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, and I would just encourage you to pray something like this, just quietly. Jesus, thank you for your incredible love for me. God, I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your forgiveness. But Jesus, I praise you that you died on the cross in my place. God, forgive me for all my wrongs. Show me who you are. God, heal my waywardness. And let me experience you.